Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. What an absolutely amazing thing that is that we just sang that, you know, the true, the, the thing that we really hunger for the most deeply is, is Him and He is available. He, he, he welcomes us, calls us when we're broken, when we're worn out, when we've made mistakes, but he, that He welcomes us in. Isn't that amazing? Praise the Lord for that. Well, let me ask you, how did you like the weather this past week? Okay? Now, I'm, I'm going to take a little survey here. And here's the way this works is a 10 is like, I thought this is like so amazing, like just all but perfect this week. 10. Zero was I hated it. I hope I never see that kind of weather again. And you're going to show me on your fingers here. So think about that. Zero to 10. What are you going to do? Okay, ready? Hold them up. Let's see. What do you do? Okay, most of you like that pretty well. Most of you like it pretty well. Good, good. Well, let me ask another question, and I won't ask you to raise your hands. Did you make any mistakes this week? Did you make any really bad life, life-altering mistakes this week? Well, we started talking about mistakes last week, and we'll look at the passage in a minute, because Jesus was challenging the religious leaders, the Sadducees. He says, you're mistaken. You've made a mistake here. And, and it's a bad mistake because it puts you in opposition to me. Your mistake, you know, puts you in opposition to the Lord. And, and sometimes we make mistakes that way too. We, we differentiated last week. There are some mistakes we make in life that are just mistakes, right? They aren't sin, anything like that. You know, you're adding up something and you make a mistake. You get the wrong number. Now, it can cause you problems, but it's, you know, it's not like life-altering kind of stuff. You miss your turn. Um, we all make those kinds of mistakes. Sometimes we make some mistakes in relationships too. But they can be just mistakes because we really didn't know, didn't have enough information, didn't understand. We did the best we could, we made a mistake. But very often in life there are mistakes that we make that at least at the, the root of it is sin. It's sin because, you know, I was more concerned about me and how I felt than I was about doing what God wanted. I was more concerned about maybe protecting myself than I was concerned about loving someone else the way Christ loves me. Uh, and of course they get way bigger even than that kind of stuff, right? So very often sin is mixed up with those mistakes. And by the way, sin is always a big mistake. Okay, it's always a big mistake. But then sin gets in and we make other mistakes because of our sin, our sinful choices, our sinful beliefs. Or, uh, and so I want you to know that when we're talking about mistakes, what we're really wanting to focus in on is those kinds of mistakes. Because the mistakes that have sin mixed up in the middle of them are the mistakes that alter our lives sometimes permanently. That bring things into our lives, scars and problems, not just for us, but for the people in our lives. And, and the biggest problem for all that is that we end up not glorifying the Lord the way we should. We don't honor Him the way that we ought to. We don't demonstrate love for Him when we're making those kinds of mistakes. And so, I'm using the terminology mistakes because Jesus did, all right? 
What I don't want you to think we're doing here is what oftentimes happens, you see people in the public eye, politicians or somebody else that's in the public eye, and they commit some really bad, I mean, sinful thing. You know what I'm talking about? And you hear about it, and it comes to light, now it's in the news, and uh, they stand up and they have a press conference, and what do they say? I, I'm sorry, I made a, what? Mistake. Yeah, you did. It was a sin. You, you did this terrible thing, but they kind of try to soften it, right? I made a mistake. And so we, I'm, not, I'm not trying to do that. By using the word mistake here, I'm not trying to do that. We need to be really open and honest about where we're at with these kinds of mistakes, whether it's just a plain old life mistake that we're all going to make, or is this one because really I'm not where I should be. And those are the kind of mistakes we want to learn how to avoid. And so Jesus tells us something about these mistakes in Matthew chapter 22. So let's turn there. Matthew 22, page 1139 in the Bible that's in the chairs. And if you don't have your own Bible with you today, we really encourage you to pick up that Bible under the chair and follow along because it'll help you. Uh, <coughs> So we saw in this story last week, kind of a wild story, the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection or an afterlife and they were kind of pragmatic and, and connected, uh, you know, compromised to connect with the political powers and all this kind of thing. But they, they were trying to catch Jesus in something that they could accuse him or they wanted to find something to accuse him. And since they didn't believe in the resurrection and they thought maybe Jesus did, they tried to catch him in something by telling this whole long story. If you were here last week and you remember it, great. If not, you'll have to read it later. But very simply, as they said, hey, we have this law in the Old Testament that says if a man uh, dies without having children, his brother should marry the wife so that they can have children and continue his line, okay, and his possessions. So they said, this have one man, you know, died and didn't have children, so married the brother, the second brother died, no children, third brother, all the way through seven. So whose wife will this lady be in the resurrection, you know? And they didn't even believe in the resurrection. They're just trying to catch Jesus in, a, in something they could accuse him of. And Jesus, as he always does, just answers so perfectly and so wisely. But it was in his answer that we learn a couple of things related to avoiding the kinds of life mistakes that not only will we regret, but that uh, dishonor the Lord so much. Verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. You have made a huge mistake. And we know that they made a huge mistake, not only because they were wrong about the doctrine, but because what they were believing and the choices that they were making put them in opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ. How big of a mistake is it to put yourself in opposition to the Lord? You can't make a bigger mistake. And so they were mistaken. And he says for two reasons. First, because you don't know the scriptures. And last week, this is what we said. We said you will make serious mistakes in life if you don't know what God says. Simple enough, right? If you don't know what God says, you can't do what God says. We're told we are to be doers of the word, but you can't be doers of the word if you aren't knowers of the word. And we saw Hosea talk about this when he was challenging the religious leaders that they weren't leading properly, they weren't teaching the people properly. And he said to this, and he said, my people are destroyed 
for lack of knowledge. This is what God said to his religious leaders through um, the prophet Hosea, Hosea chapter four. Go ahead and put that up if you would, Mitchell. My people, or John, if you would, is it frozen up? Okay, no, I'm sorry, there we go. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. In other words, when we don't know what God says, we are going to make serious mistakes in our lives that will have ramifications in lots of directions. So it's really crucial that we know what God says. And last week we made it pretty clear that it's, it's not that hard to start knowing what God says. First you have to decide you want to know it, and then you have to get after it. And you remember last week, three and a half minutes a day. The average reader, in fact, on the slow end of an average reader, three and a half minutes a day, you can read the entire Bible in three years. So you can, next three years, you can get through the whole Bible. You can start to learn what God says. Take 11 minutes a day, you read it every year, okay? So it's not out of reach for us to learn what God says. And so if we want to avoid these kind of life mistakes we're talking about, it's important that we know what the scriptures say. Um, but Jesus continued in that passage and he said, you know, it's not just that you don't know the scriptures, you also don't know the power of God. And so, what does he mean by that? Well, I think there's a, a little bit of a clue in, in the same verse there in Hosea, that when he said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, and then he challenges the religious leaders, and he says this, he says this to them, you have rejected knowledge. You know, but you're saying no to what you know. Okay? Saying no to what you know to do. And, and so this brings us to that second thing. We already said you'll make serious mistakes in life if you don't know what God says, and you'll make even bigger mistakes in life if you won't do what God says. When you come to know if you won't do it, man, you are headed for the kind of mistakes the Sadducees had that put you in opposition to God and not accomplishing what he wants, not to mention the havoc that it will probably bring into your life. Now, let me just say, while I'm thinking about it, because I want to say it later, but I'll forget it. It doesn't matter if in the eyes of everybody around you, and even in your own eyes, everything has gone perfect and you haven't made a single mistake, but you haven't done what God says. You made the biggest mistake you could have ever made. You will have wasted your life. All right. So let's talk about this. So I'm saying here that when Jesus says you're, you're mistaken because you don't know the power of God, and then I put on the screen up here, this is because you won't do what God says. How do those two things get together? How do we do that? Well, we're talking about how is it that we don't know the power of God? What's going on when, when people who theoretically should know the Lord don't know his power, don't experience his power in our life. So let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, page 1367, we're going to start on. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is, is talking to his, uh, the young man that he's been mentoring. And chapter 3 and verse 1 says this, he says, but know this, talking to Timothy, but know this, that in the last days, Perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, 
without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So stop there for just a moment. What do we do with these kinds of lists? Well, let me tell you what I think we tend to do and we need to be careful about. And that's to say, oh yeah, God's talking about those people out there. Now, I don't know about you, I think if we sat down for a week, uh, I, I get USA Today, uh, it comes in Monday through Friday, and I think if I sat down through the week and just looked at the headlines and the main captions, I could probably find pretty much this whole list. You see that around you in society? So it is true that it's what? Out there. That's the way the lost world is. But man, we do ourselves a disservice if we don't also stop and say, well, wait a minute. Is there anything in this list that just might be true of me too? I mean, when I start looking at this list and it says men will be lovers of themselves. How important are you to you? Are you important to you? I'm important to me. That's normal, right? Can I become more important to me than I ought to be? Can you become more important to you than you ought to be? Am I losing you here? Or are you guys getting what I'm saying? Okay. Lovers of money. I like money. I like to have money. Who likes to have money? Those of you who didn't raise your hands, I'll be glad to take yours. All right, we can, become, we can be lovers of money too. And, and there's nothing wrong with having money, enjoying money. But man, when we become a lover of money, we've crossed the line, right? A love of money causes all sorts of evil, the Bible says. So we go on down through this list, and even the last one, you know, uh, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Do I love the comforts of my life? Do I love having life the way I like it, the way I'm comfortable with it, the way I want? Do I love that more than I love God? Well, I think we just ask that question. We say, well, of course not, of course not. Of course I love God more. Well, wait a minute, let's think. Are you setting aside anything that God says? in order to have this life? If you are, you're what? A lover of pleasure more than, see, so my point is we need to keep examining ourselves always and look and see. And this is pertinent to what we're talking about here. Okay, verse number five. He describes these people, he says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Having a form of godliness. And what he's saying is if you look at them on the outside as they go about life and things, they know how to act godly. They know how to, on the outside, to appear godly. They know how to talk right. They know how to, you know, handle themselves. I would venture to say that sometimes we struggle with this too. A form of godliness because, and don't, don't raise your hands on this question, but did any of you use different language out there in your life this week than you would ever consider using here today? Well, see, that means when you walk in here, you have a form of godliness, right? But the reality in your life is something different. And so he says here that these people, could be us, know what godliness looks like because they have the form of it. They know what it's supposed to look like, what it's supposed to sound like, how it's supposed to act. They know all of that, but they deny the power. And here's what he's talking about. They have the outside form, but not the inside. On the inside, there are all these other things. 
And how is this denying the power? Well, let me say, it isn't denying that God is powerful. That's not what this is talking about. It's denying the power of God entrance into your life. All right. How many of you, I'm asking a question now. How many of you would say that, hey, if we have people over to our house, you know, we kind of, who kind of strains up your house if you're having people over, you know? Okay. I didn't look, so I don't know who. Raise their hands or didn't. But how many of us have a room that we would not show people when they come over? Yeah. Right? We have all these, oh yeah, sure they can see all this. But you know, wait, with this room here, no, it's kind of a, it's a real mess. We're not going to open this door. We're not going in there. We're denying what? Entrance into that room. Makes all the sense in the world. I'm with you. But in our lives, we have huge thing in our lives, right? And, and so maybe we're allowing God entrance into our lives. He, we, we, we know him, we've invited him in, and you know, I'm fine here, fine, but you know what, not, not this area, God, not this area of my life. And we deny him what? Entrance, we deny the power of God access to that part of our lives. I, I don't wanna go there. It's too hard, it's too painful. I like what's there, whatever. So you see what I'm saying? This is, this is what we're talking about, denying the power. And so these Sadducees have denied the power of God somehow by not doing what they were supposed to do. They have some area of their lives, maybe multiple areas of their lives, we're not, letting, we're not going there with God. We're not gonna do that. And as a result, they were mistaken and put themselves in opposition to God. Listen, we have to in our lives, if we are going to know the power of God, we have to say, every room in my life is accessible to you, Father. In fact, I need your power to work in every room of my life, especially that one. We have to be willing to do that. Well, so what are we talking about when we talk about the power of God? What, what is it where we need the power of God, and how does that work out? Well, Jesus, in talking to his disciples, right before he, he headed off to the cross, he had this long evening with them and, and he was talking to them about the nature of their relationship with him. And he talks about, if you know, I need to abide in you, to remain in you. The idea is I need to come into your life and, and fill your life up so that there are no hidden rooms, but we, everything is open to me. And we have this open and abiding relationship. And here's why you need to do this. In John 15 and verse five, he says, because without me, you can do nothing. Now, what does that mean? Can't I go to work without the Lord? Can you go to work without the Lord? Can you mow the lawn without the Lord? Can you take a vacation without the Lord? Can you have big plans for life and pursue them without the Lord? Sure, you can do all of those kinds of things without the Lord. But here's, here's what you need to understand. You cannot do anything of positive eternal significance without the Lord, without the power of God working in your life. You are absolutely incapable. You can't do anything that's going to make a positive difference forever without the power of God at work. You cannot change anybody's heart. Have you ever tried to change somebody's heart? I have. I try to get them to see a difference, try to persuade them, try to get them, but the reality is until their heart changes, you can't do anything. And I can't change their heart. Who can change a heart? 
God can change your heart. And you know what? That's true even for my heart. I can't change my own heart. I need God to change my heart. I need to let him in. I need to not deny his power. I need to let it in to change me. And so we cannot live the Christian life the way the Lord intends if we are not opening ourselves up to his power. And how then do we experience his power? What does it take? Well, we're talking about opening up, but what we're really talking about is, it's what I've just said a little bit earlier. I said, you make huge mistakes if you won't do what God says. How do we experience the power of God? By, from the heart, doing what God says. That's where you put yourself in a place for him to work. When you let him produce his fruit in your life, you have to let him work. And you experience the power of God in your life. Let's, let's look at a practical example of this. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. See how this works. You will never experience the power of God in your life unless you're doing what the Lord says to do. Now, don't even begin to think, oh, there's this formula here. If I'll just do this and say this, that then I can somehow or other manipulate the power of God. Forget that. No, it's about putting yourself in a place where you are no longer denying God access. Isn't it amazing that we can deny God access? Now, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but you think about that. Couldn't God just steamroll us and just do what he wants in our lives? Could he? Isn't he that big? But he doesn't. He wants us to say yes for our own well-being. Verse number 25 of chapter 6. He says, therefore I say to you. Now why do he say therefore? That's because he had just talked about something. And he says, okay, because of that, Therefore. Well, what he had just talked about was saying you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and anything else. Okay, so you've got to make a choice here. You, and you need to choose God. Serve God. He's your master. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And you know what? A lot of people don't really think that it is. They aren't conscious that it is. But it is. Life is about so much more than this stuff. Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? In other can make yourself taller. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin and... Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, in other words, it, it dies, it withers, we use it for fuel to burn it. He says, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. And what he means is those who don't have a relationship with the Lord. That's the way they live. And he says, for your heavenly Father, the one you have a relationship with, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. 
Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, as I see this here, there are two options, two choices. The first one is, I think it's in verse 31, when he says, we're worrying about, oh no, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Where am I going to live? What am I going to drive? How am I going to make this happen? How am I going to prevent that from happening? And I live like that. And it might, like I said, even in the eyes of the world, go really well and look really good. I'm making it all work. It's all happening. When you live like that, you do not experience the power of God in your life. You're on your own. You're doing your own thing. The other choice, verse 33, he said, here's what you need to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this other stuff. He'll take care of. He'll work it out for you. Now, here's what I want you to understand. It's so easy for us in Christian circles. And over the years we hear it and, and we talk about it. And that's to think, oh, God has promised to provide my needs. That statement is true if you understand it in the whole biblical context. But far too often we don't. Oh, God's going to meet my needs. He's going to meet my needs. Da, da, da. That's not what these verses say. These verses say that if you make the determination that, that God comes first, God's mission comes first, God's kingdom comes first, living God's way righteously, that comes first. It's all about God. My life is about God. He says when you live that way, God will take care of all this other stuff so you can keep living that way. That's the promise. And so when are we going to experience the power of God in our lives? When we're working on making sure all this, when, when what comes first to us is meeting our needs, when what comes first to us, making ourselves happy, when what comes first to us is making ourselves comfortable, when what comes first to us is getting more of something, when what comes first, when that's what's coming first, you're not going to experience the power of God in your lives. And if you, if you're not experiencing the power of God in your lives, you're going to, you're living in a way that is going to make huge mistakes, sinful mistakes, life-altering mistakes that bring grief in this life and regret in the life to come. That's the reality. So the reality is, is that, that if, if I'm going to know the power of God like Jesus is talking about, I have to choose to do what God says. And in, we're, in this passage here, it's about putting God first before everything. Before everything. Before what? Everything. Before anything. And when you put yourself in that position, you're going to find out you need the power of God to be able to live that way. You can't live that way on your own. You can't live that way in your own strength. You desperately need God to work and to do the things that need to be done so you can experience his power. And, you know, here we're talking about the basic necessities of life, right? That, you know, you seek first his kingdom's righteousness. He'll, he'll take care of that other stuff. Well, think about this. What if, let's imagine that I'm in a situation where I decide I go on a missions trip to some Muslim country where you're not allowed to preach the gospel, but I go and meet some Christians and I'm doing this, and all of a sudden I get captured. They catch me, and they throw me into jail, and they leave me there, and they don't feed me. And slowly but surely I waste away and eventually die. 
Well, wait a minute. Wasn't I seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness first before all else? I was. Yeah. What happened? Well, God has kept his absolute word to me because he says, when you're seeking me first, I will provide everything you need to accomplish what I want you to do. And if it's God's will for me to die a martyr's death, he'll be glorified, won't he? And God has absolutely kept this promise to me. So we gotta be careful, because you can say, well, I tried living that way. I tried living, by, and, and I haven't experienced the power of God. Well, what do you mean you haven't? One of two things going on. Either you really didn't live the way God said from the heart, or if you did, you experienced the power of God. It just doesn't always look like it, we think it should look. It doesn't always have the results that we think it should have. It doesn't always happen when we should think we should have it happen. But we're glorifying God, and he will take care of the other stuff. We don't have to worry about it. I'll give you some examples how this can work. Uh, years ago, uh, my wife one day is teaching Sunday school. And in the lesson, she had a story about a, a little kid who came across, somehow he ended up with $100, and the $100 won, give it to a missionary, and found a missionary, and gave it to a missionary. And as my wife is teaching this, God is just dealing with her heart, and says to her, you know, just stirs her up, and she, in her mind and heart, said to God, God, if I had $100 now, next year, I would give it, I'd give it to a missionary, because it was just, she was moved. And that morning when the church service was over, the treasurer came up and said, hey, here's $100. Someone gave $100 to you today. God put a desire in her heart, and then what did he do? And she yielded, I want what you want, God. I want to do what you, God provides. I've told the story about the time that, <clears throat> way back when my wife and I, we, had, we didn't have any extra money. There wasn't enough money to fund the budget the way they tell you you should fund your budget. And, and we had a situation, there was a family in the church that was just really in dire straits in need of, of, of finances. And, and God just put it in our hearts. He said, okay, well, well let's, let's give something. We decided to give $40. It was $40 we didn't feel like we had to give, but we gave it, put in a card, went and gave it to the folks and left feeling confident we'd done what God wanted. And the next day I went out to my car to leave and in the front seat of the car, there were groceries somebody had left for me that were worth way over $40 the very next day. Now, it doesn't always work this way because at one point my wife and I decided we, had, we felt the Lord leading us that we took what was for us an entire paycheck and gave it to a family who was in need. No groceries in the car the next day. No magic money faring anywhere. No, whatever. And, and as we look at the family today, we aren't sure, you know, what's that make a difference. But let me ask you, did the power of God work? It absolutely did. The power of God. He was at work doing, accomplishing what he wanted to accomplish. How do I know? Because we did what he led us to do. I'm confident in that. Now, I'm not going to tell you all the stories where I didn't do it this way. There's plenty of stories in my life where I didn't get it right. Haven't done what I ought to do. I get that too. But I just want you to see that when we choose to do what God say, says, God's power comes to work in our lives. We're no longer denying him access. We're opening it up. His power comes in and works and enables us to do things that we never could have thought we could do. And they may be small things. I mean, man. 
probably all of us at some point in our lives have, have looked at our lives and said, man, something needs to change. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. I, I gotta change it. And the next year, you're still saying, I, I haven't changed this, this needs to change. And, and we find those things going in our lives and we, don't, and, and we need his power to work, don't we? It is so crucial that we keep opening up our lives and keep opening up our lives and keep opening up our lives. And the way we open up our lives is by surrendering and doing what he says. Surrender and do what he says. Surrender and do what he says. Turn in the Bible to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Jesus here is talking to a bunch of religious leaders and then others who are around. Chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by. Okay, so these are the religious leaders. Said so they who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. I read that statement, it's like, wow, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. What did these guys need to be healed of? Their hearts needed healing. They were hardened to God. They weren't doing the things that they knew to do. They were denying God access to those parts of their lives. It's evident because of how they were opposing Jesus. But the power of God was present to heal them. And I would say to you today that whatever your need is, wherever you need healing in your life, wherever you need to God to work, that the power of the Lord is present to do that. It says, then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with this bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. Probably most of us are aware that, that the kinds of houses they had, you could break through the roof to do that. When he saw their faith, not just the man who needed to be healed, but his friends. When he saw their faith, he said to them, man, your sins are forgiven you. Did he come to get his sins forgiven? Doesn't say that, does it? What did he come with? He was paralyzed. That's what he came with. But I want you to see, is here they are. They, they know, here, here's a need. This man has a need. The man's saying, I have a need. And the, this healing, and Jesus, Jesus is the one who can do that. They start, they, because of what they know to be true, they act on it, right? They, what they know about Jesus, now they act on that. And they go forward with it. And, and they have faith, right? That if we can just do this. And so they're trusting Jesus and moving toward Jesus. Trying to get where they need to be with Jesus. Doing that. And his power then works. But I want you to see something. His power worked in a way that was this man's greatest need. And the man probably didn't even realize it. What the man probably think his greatest need was. Physical healing, but he said, oh, I forgive your sins. And in so doing, this, I guess what I'm trying to say, when sometimes we feel like we don't see the power of God, we don't experience it, if we're doing what we need to do to be where the Lord wants us to be, doing what the Lord wants us to do, his power is working. It just may be different than what we expected. Verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they were right about those statements, but they were wrong about who Jesus was. 
Verse 22, but when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? So let me ask you, which is easier? Which can you say without anybody being able to prove you're wrong? Your sins are forgiven, right? Because who can see that? So it's a lot harder to say, rise up and walk, because now we're all going to do what? Lean in and see. So he says, verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. But I want you to see the difference between two groups of people here. One group of people, this paralyzed man and his friends. They had some truth. We know who Jesus is. We know what he can do. We got to get to him. And they acted on what they knew to be true, trusting. And we see the result. The man's sins forgiven, his healing. They're all encouraged. God is glorified. Then we have the religious leaders who the power of the Lord was present to heal them, but they didn't get healed. What was the difference? They wouldn't do what they knew to do. They did not do what they knew God would have them do. And so they did not experience his power. What a big mistake. They walked out of there that day still hardened in their sin. Huge mistake. And you will make mistakes in life when you don't know what God says and when you won't do what God says. Big mistakes, life mistakes. And probably the biggest mistake is that you will not glorify God. You will not honor the one who purchased your salvation. And, and even more than that, you know, if. If you're here today and you think the, the truth, here's, here's where you're at. If you're here like this, that, okay, yes, I've known, I've learned, and if you've been here a while, you know this. I've learned that, yes, I have sinned against the holy God and that, that my sins make me guilty before him and, and I'm spiritually dead. I don't have a relationship with him. If I die like this, I will go to hell forever. But I, I've heard, I know that Jesus died for my sin and rose again and that if I'll receive him as savior, if, He'll forgive my sins, I'll have eternal life. I, I know that's true, but you know, I'm not, not ready yet. I'm not, not ready to go there yet, and what I think that'll mean in my life. I don't want to do that. In fact, I won't do that right now. And then your life comes to an end, which it will. Then you will find yourself at some point standing before God at the great white throne judgment, and it will be demonstrated that Here's the truth. Here's where you're at. And you will know that you knew. And you will find yourself in hell forever. What kind of mistake is that? If you have received Christ as Savior, you've already accepted that, you know, and you know what he's done for you. And you've trusted Christ and he's come to live in you. And 
but in your life, you're saying no to things, right? You got this room in your life you don't want Jesus in and because you, you like this and you wanna keep this this way. Or you, you're scared of what people think about you and just whatever your reasons are that you aren't doing what you know God says. What's gonna happen is you, you will dishonor God in your life, you will not glorify him, but you will find yourself at the judgment seat of Christ standing there with Jesus looking at your life. And by the way, when you find yourself in the presence of Jesus, it's gonna change your whole perspective. It's gonna change everything. And you're gonna stand with him there and we're gonna look at this part of your life and you're gonna go, that was wasted. That was wasted. Wasted. Huge mistake. So important that we live now the way that God says we ought to live. That's where you put yourself in a position to experience the power of God at work in your life. And you avoid those mistakes that will be, have huge eternal ripples and you'll, really you'll avoid a whole bunch of mess here and now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your son has raised these challenges for us that we make mistakes when we don't know your word. And we make mistakes when we don't do what we know. And these mistakes are huge and, and really matter. Please stir our hearts about that. We need to know your power at work in our lives. For when your powers are working, well, that means we're where you want us to be. So we can honor you and glorify you. And Father, just be real honest, I don't know what else to pray here. Don't know what else to say. Just don't let us go. Give us no peace, Father, until we address these issues in our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you. You are dismissed.